This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Shoulder injuries are common in all ages, but especially in the elderly, and they represent one of the most common injuries seen in an orthopedic practice. According to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, there has been a five-fold increase in the number of serious shoulder injuries among youth baseball and softball players over the past 20 years. Today we're joined by Dr. Christopher Camp, an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist at Mayo Clinic. We'll discuss common shoulder injuries. Christopher, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about the shoulder. It's kind of a unique joint. What makes it different than the knee, the elbow, and so forth? Yeah, it really is a unique joint, both in its structure and its function. So, so by structure, I mean the way it's built and the way it's made up. So the shoulder joint itself is a ball and socket joint. The socket is very shallow, and that allows for a lot of motion uh, in, in the shoulder. So that is a very unique structure. None of the other joints in the body are really designed that way. But that gives it a very unique function. So our shoulder is different from the other joints in our body because we have more motion at our shoulder joint than we do any other joint, such as the, the knee, hip, or elbow. So our shoulder, it can, it can move forward, backward. It can rotate up, down, in every direction, which is not the case with, uh, with other uh, joints in the body. So that makes it very unique. So it, it relies not only on the bones and the cartilage to give the joint stability, but also all of the muscles around it. So that one of the things that makes it unique and different is that you, you have to have everything working properly in order to have a well-functioning shoulder. Okay, and because it's unique, there are a variety of injuries that occur in the shoulder. There really are, and it, and it sort of depends on the, the patient demographic. As you mentioned in the intro, very common shoulder injuries occur in the elderly and also in young patients as well, but they tend to be a little bit different. So our younger patients get a certain set of injuries. Our older, slightly old, middle-aged or older patients uh, get, get a slightly different set of injuries. Let's talk about the injuries that commonly occur in the elderly. Sure. So for the, the middle-aged or older patient, they, they tend to have a lot, and I, and I like to say not, uh, not because they're old, but more sort of wear and tear are usually a sign of a life well lived. When you use a shoulder for a long time over periods, uh, over long periods of time, there's a lot of wear and tear that can occur. So the most common injuries that we see in sort of our upper middle age or older patients, number one would be problems with a rotator cuff. Number two would be arthritis. And those two problems make up, I'd say, greater than 90% of the shoulder problems that we see in our older patients. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the rotator cuff. Describe that. So the rotator cuff is really a group of four muscles, not, not a single muscle. It's actually four muscles, and they cross the ball and socket joint. So they start out on the shoulder blade, which is the side that has the socket on it, and then they go across the joint, and then they attach to the ball or the humeral head. And the purpose of the rotator cuff is actually to keep the joint centered. So they keep the ball centered in the socket, and they help us initiate motion. So they're very critical really for joint stability and joint motion, both of which are very important to people who are, who are active. Rotator cuff injuries are common. How do, you, um, how do we assess patients for symptoms of a rotator cuff injury? Mm -hmm. And it can be tough too because the, the common problems that we see in these patients all tend to have similar symptoms. 
And really the, the three primary symptoms that people with rotator cuff problems have, number one is pain, it hurts. Number two, loss of motion. So they're not able to lift the arm or move it as well as they were previously. And then lastly, it's weakness. So those three things, and, and they may have all three of those symptoms. They may only have one or two that predominate, but it's usually a combination of those symptoms. So part of our challenge as providers is sort of helping the patient decipher which one of those things is bothering them most. So then we can sort of correlate their examination with their symptoms, imaging, and then help come up with a treatment plan that's sort of specific to their their problem. Mm-hmm. Are there more common injuries in others that end up with the rotator cuff, uh, either falling or mm-hmm. repetitive use. So how would we suspect a rotator cuff based on what kind of injury the patient has? Yeah, so the most common um, problem or the, the most common way they come about is really sort of degeneration over time. So patients will typically start out with some mild pain that is maybe tolerable. They can a- ignore it and sort of not, not deal with it for a while. And then eventually just sort of gets worse and worse and worse and eventually brings them in. Or they may have that and then they have an acute injury like a fall or an accident or something that results in a really big injury. So maybe they had a little bit of pain, some difficulty in motion, all of a sudden they have a big fall. Now they can't lift their arm at all. So something dramatic has happened. Mm-hmm. And usually what that represents is that that sort of chronic long-standing pain represents general degeneration of the rotator cuff. So it's just starting to wear out. Mm-hmm. And then if they have that acute injury or fall, that could be the tendon pulling away from the bone or a detachment of the rotator cuff or a, a big tear, which is obviously more problematic. Sure. Do rotator cuff tears heal on their own, or does everybody need surgery for this uh, type of uh, correction? Yeah, that's a great question. We spend a lot of time with our patients trying to sort through that. So do rotator cuff uh, tendons or tears heal on their own? Essentially, the answer is no, unfortunately. However, the rotator cuff, they're not the only muscles in the shoulder. So oftentimes, if a patient has some rotator cuff degeneration or very mild tear, we may, we'll start out with some non-operative treatment, typically physical therapy, anti-inflammatories, rest, modifying their activities. And the goals of those things is not to make the tear heal. It won't heal on its own, but to see if we can at least let it rest, calm down the inflammation, which helps improve the pain. And at the same time, we try to do physical therapy and strengthening exercises that are very focused and targeted to the other muscles around the shoulder. If we can get the other muscles working at their optimal level of function, then they can often compensate for one or two tendons in the rotator cuff that's not really doing its job. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that the rotator cuff is a series of overlapping muscles keeping this ball in the socket. So mm-hmm. can you have a rotator cuff tear of maybe just one of these muscles or multiple muscles in this in this you, joint? You can. It, it's highly variable. So it ranges. You, you can have just a small, tiny little partial tear of one of the tendons. Or you can have a complete rupture and disruption of all four, and and then everything in between. So there's a wide variety of problems that happen. And so accordingly, some patients may present with, you know, very minor symptoms or problems, Mm -hmm. whereas others can have severe pain. They can't lift their arm at all. So it it can be highly variable, the presentation. Okay. Another common term you hear is impingement syndrome. Mm -hmm. So another cause of shoulder pain. How does that uh, present? Yeah, so that typically presents with um, pain, and it's typically on the outside part of the shoulder. Um, And so there's a bone right up at the top of the shoulder called the acromion, and that's sort of like a roof bone. That makes the roof of the shoulder joint. The rotator cuff is located underneath it, 
And sometimes you can get small little bone spurs or osteophytes, we call them, on the bottom of that acromion. And the rotator cuff is immediately under that. So when a patient lifts their arm, it drives the rotator cuff up into those bone spurs, which can irritate the rotator cuff and cause some degeneration. And that could start them down the pathway of having rotator cuff problems that could eventually lead to a tear and other mm -hmm. issues. So that's what we call impingement. It's, it's the rotator cuff getting squeezed or impinged between the ball, which is the humeral head, and that roof bone, which is the acromion on top. And symptoms of that would be pain with elevation or exactly so it tends to be pain it's located out over the outside part of the shoulder and it's most uh, aggravated by trying to lift the arm out to the side or trying to lift heavy objects out away from the body mm -hmm. okay and then how about a bursitis of the shoulder mm -hmm. so in that same space in between the rotator cuff and the roof bone or the acromion there's a bursa which is bursa is, is essentially just sort of a fluid filled sac that helps kind of lubricate uh, um, the muscle from the bone. So it creates a little protective layer in between the two. When you have rotator cuff tearing or you have a bone spur on the acromion, that sac can get really inflamed. So when the bursa is inflamed, that's bursitis. Mm -hmm. It simply means inflammation of the bursa. And so that goes hand in hand with impingement. So patients tend to, if they have one, they tend to have the other. So they're very commonly seen together. And those are often precursors to rotator cuff injuries. Mm -hmm. We've heard the term frozen shoulder. How does that fit in with some of these things you've described? Sure. Uh, frozen shoulder is essentially a tightening of the capsule in the joint. So we mentioned that the shoulder is a ball and socket joint. Around that ball and socket, there's a capsule, which is, is almost like a sac that, that lines the joint. It keeps the fluid contained within the joint. Normally, it's very thin um, and, it allow, and it's very flexible. So it allows full motion of the shoulder. Occasionally, it can get really inflamed and irritated. It becomes thick, and it starts to scar in so it's not as mobile. So when that happens, it can become painful, and then shoulder motion is reduced. So patients that have that typically complain of pain and a stiff shoulder, which is why it gets the name frozen shoulder. Mm -hmm. And it's often difficult because it can occur in a similar demographic as folks with rotator cuff tears. They're separate problems. They're very different but they can often overlap. So we have to spend a lot of time trying to sort that out. Sure. Frozen shoulder happens more commonly in patients that are slightly younger, so probably in the 40s to 60s. There are a few risk factors. We know folks with diabetes or thyroid problems are more prone to it, and it makes it a little bit dif more difficult to treat in those populations. Now, I've had a few patients who go to orthopedics because of their shoulder pain, and sometimes they come back with a steroid injection. Mm -hmm. What kind of conditions are helpful by or get better with a steroid injection? Sure. So the steroid is really a way of delivering a targeted anti-inflammatory to a specific area. Because that's essentially what the steroid is. Um, and so it's extremely helpful in cases of frozen shoulder because that's primarily, as we mentioned, that's inflammation of the capsule. So if we can catch that early when it's painful and inflamed, we'll often do an injection into the shoulder joint itself. And that steroid can kind of help reduce the inflammation in the capsule, hopefully help it to calm down a little bit. And that may help it stretch out over time and help them regain their motion. So most patients with a frozen shoulder, we end up recommending doing a steroid injection. So can that be curative for something like that, for one injection and then that takes care of things? Or is it only likely to give temporary benefit? So for that, it, it can be curative. So the good news and bad news with a frozen shoulder, the, the good news is it almost always goes away without surgery. 
So greater than 90% of the time, it goes away. Patients get their motion back. They get good pain relief. The steroid can help speed that up. The bad news is it typically takes a long time. It can be 6 to 12 months Mm -hmm. before it fully normalizes. So you have to be patient and sort of hang in there. Oftentimes, we'll do the injection to sort of help jumpstart the physical therapy. And then it's a lot of physical therapy really working on stretching. And then it takes a while. And then for rotator cuff tears, we do often consider steroid injections as well. Again, typically patients will have the rotator cuff injury. That leads to inflammation, and the inflammation causes pain. So the whole goal of the steroid injection is to sort of jump in the middle, reduce the inflammation, and reduce the pain. It doesn't necessarily do anything for the rotator cuff tear itself, but if we can reduce the inflammation, it helps improve symptoms. So oftentimes we'll consider that. And might those patients need another steroid injection in the future? Potentially. Although we do have some some new research that we've done has shown that multiple steroid injections could actually have a harmful effect to the rotator cuff. So one or two injection is probably okay, but multiple repeated injections to the rotator cuff can be a little bit problematic. It weakens the tendons a little bit. And if patients do end up having uh, rotator cuff surgery in the future, it could be a little bit tougher to get that tendon to heal if they've had a lot of injections prior to surgery. Mm-hmm. So we have to be judicious about using them for rotator cuff problems. Sure. We've talked a little bit about common shoulder injuries in the elderly. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about young athletes? Mm-hmm. How do they typically present with shoulder problems? Sure. So the young athlete tends to be um, less of the wear and tear sort of phenomenon that we see in our older patients. They tend to be sort of acute traumatic injuries. And I think probably the most common that we see would be shoulder instability. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the shoulder uh, is a ball and socket joint and the socket is very shallow. The good news is that allows us to have a lot of motion of our shoulder. The bad news is that makes it an inherently unstable joint. So it doesn't take a lot of force to dislocate the shoulder. And a dislocation is when the ball slides off the socket completely. Sometimes it slides right back in. Other times, patients may actually have to go into the emergency department or have somebody um, put the shoulder back in place for them. So shoulder instability is probably the most common thing that we see, particularly in our young athletes that are playing contact sports. Mm -hmm. How do those patients present? They typically present with uh, either to the emergency department to get their shoulder put back in, or if if it goes back in themselves, they'll come in saying, I dislocated my shoulder. It's, it, and it's, a, it's remarkable how, how well patients understand that. It seems like a sort of a vague concept until it happens to you, and it's pretty clear. Patients will say, oh, yeah, my, my shoulder definitely come, came out of place. So usually they come in saying, my shoulder dislocated. It feels unstable. I don't trust it. I'm nervous to put my hand in my mm-hmm. arm in certain positions because it feels like it might sl- uh, slide out again. So it's pretty obvious, not only to the patient, but to the examiners, to the fact that this is dislocated. It is, in most cases. Some, some cases can be a little bit difficult, but the majority of the time, it's, it's pretty clear what's happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the evaluation of shoulder injuries, when is an x-ray useful? Mm-hmm. Very commonly. So it's helpful in, in the older patients um, to make sure we, we want to rule out fractures. We want to look for arthritis, as I had mentioned earlier. Um, X-rays are very helpful for those two things, and it's fairly standard in, in our care. Because if we have a patient that has a fracture, that is treated very differently than rotator cuff frozen shoulder. So if they have a fracture, we typically keep them still for a little bit to allow that to heal. 
if they have other problems, we tend to move them. So because the treatments are so different, it's pretty critical to, to do that to sort of rule out those problems. Because if we start moving a fracture early, we could make it worse. Mm-hmm. So we, we get them pretty routinely for folks that were suspecting arthritis or fracture or other injuries. Same thing for our younger patients. If they've had a dislocation, when, when the shoulder slides out of place or dislocates, oftentimes it can cause damage to cartilage, bone, the labrum, which is some other soft tissue uh, in the shoulder as well. And so x-rays can be helpful to rule out um, those, those types of injuries. Mm-hmm. And it's also in that, in that population, it's also important to get the x-ray to make sure that the shoulder is back in place where it's supposed to be. In the past, patients would come in requesting an X-ray of the shoulder. Now they're requesting MRI. Mm-hmm. Uh, when is an MRI useful? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, that's a great question. MRI, the the value of MRI is really skyrocketing. It, it's amazing the quality of the images that we can get and the information that we can get for from an MRI. However, it is an expensive test. Uh, it takes time. You know, it's an inconvenience to the patient. So we don't want to get them on all patients. We we don't want to be wasteful. Typically for me, if I, if I see a patient, we start with an x-ray or we start with a history, go through their symptoms, go through a physical exam, and then typically get an x-ray. And then if I have further concern to the soft tissue, so if I'm worried about the rotator cuff being torn or the labrum, that other soft tissue that I mentioned earlier, then the MRI is extremely helpful. The other thought, something else I always think about when I'm considering getting advanced imaging or another test like that is, what will that do to our treatment plan? Because sometimes I see a patient initially for what I think is a rotator cuff tear. And even if I'm very suspicious of the rotator cuff tear, getting an MRI may not necessarily change treatment. If, mm-hmm. if we know we're going to start with physical therapy and activity modification, getting an MRI to, to show us that we do have a rotator cuff tear, we may still do the same treatment. Mm-hmm. So if I don't think it's going to, even if it gives us more information, but it doesn't necessarily change our treatment plan, we may not get it. But I can imagine the fact that the shoulder is such a unique joint, a lot of soft tissue contributing to its stability or instability, that an MRI would give you a lot more information than an ordinary x-ray. It does. And sometimes that can be a blessing, but sometimes it's a curse, too. So any time you get an MRI on a patient who's, say, over the age of 50 or 60, something is probably going to be abnormal. The right. tests are so good now, none of us are perfect. And so we all have small little injuries you know, all, all over. So it'll pick those up. So we often have to spend a lot of time saying, I, we, we know the MRI shows this. However, your symptoms are consistent with this. Your exam suggests this. So I think this abnormal finding on the MRI is not necessarily causing your symptoms. So sometimes if we have too much information, we have to really work hard to sort through that to see what's actually causing the problem sure. and make sure everything correlates. Yeah. We like it when the patient's symptoms, the physical exam, and the imaging all line up with one another. And if they don't, we really have to spend some time sort of figuring that out and deciphering why there's a discrepancy. Sure. Well, I can imagine the fact that the shoulder is significantly composed of muscle, that exercises are useful, and physical therapy, I imagine, too, for many of these shoulder injuries. Uh, is physical therapy an important part of uh, rehabilitation of the shoulder joint? It is. It's, it's pretty critical. For, for a lot of our musculoskeletal injuries, it is, but the shoulder in particular. And that's because of what we mentioned, the way the shoulder is structured earlier. But also the other thing, you know, the shoulder blade is a large muscle, sits on the back of our, uh, back of our thorax, on the back of our rib cage, but it's not actually connected to the rib cage. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of floating on our back and its position is controlled by muscles and more muscles than any other large bone in the body. 
So for that reason, physical therapy can be extremely beneficial because often patients will have problems with some of the muscles around the shoulder or the shoulder blade themselves. So they have abnormal movement patterns of their shoulder blades, which leads to shoulder injury and, and on down. So until we address that main problem with the positioning of the shoulder blade, the strength, and those sort of things, we can't really make any headway on other problems. So mm -hmm. it's a pretty critical part of the equation. Okay. And how about using either ice or heat? Mm -hmm. Is one or the other, or are they both useful? Yeah. Ne neither one is generally harmful. So we can often tell patients to try both if they want. Typically, though, if it's a problem with inflammation, ice tends to be better. So ice will help reduce the inflammation. Um, which helps reduce pain and typically makes patients feel better. It also helps reduce swelling. Now, the one time heat can be beneficial is if we're really working on motion and range of motion because of stiffness or tightness. Oftentimes, applying some heat to the area will, will help our muscles and tendons and ligaments relax a little bit and loosen up a little bit, and they might improve our motion. So typically, we say if it's inflammation and pain, ice is the way to go. If, if we're working on increasing motion and flexibility, sometimes warming it up with heat uh, can be helpful. Okay. In the outpatient practice, as a primary care provider, we see a lot of patients come in with shoulder pain. When should we refer these patients to an orthopedist? So I think, obviously, there are some red flags um, that, that you may want to consider early on. So if you have a patient that has a, a very dramatic injury, car accident, fall off the roof, those sort of things, and can't lift their arm, that's concerning, and so those those may need to come earlier. Otherwise, if, if it's a more minor injury, maybe it's just pain, a little loss of motion, or a little bit of weakness, typically it's okay to watch those for, for a period of time. And I think the main thing is to see, is the patient getting better? Are you making improvement? Even if it's slow improvement, as long as you're heading in the, in the right direction and things are getting better, it's generally okay to continue to observe and make sure things continue to get better. But if at some point, if they plateau or they start to decline, in their function, then then maybe it's worth thinking about changing it up and either getting a second opinion or ordering some additional tests to see what else is going on. And from your standpoint, is there an advantage to seeing these patients with the injury that was very recent, or does it matter if they we you know, wait weeks or months before they mm -hmm. get seen? Is, mm -hmm. is there a difference? There is, and there are a number of different injuries that we know that if we can get to them early, they tend to do better with early treatment as as compared to late treatment. So a few examples, if we have a young patient, say maybe a 40 or 50 year old patient who's a, who's a busy laborer or athlete and has a full thickness rotator cuff tear, probably best for us to get that one fixed sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. If we wait too long, the tendons can pull back and retract and the muscles start to shrink or atrophy. So it becomes harder to repair at a later time. So that, that's one example. There's, there's a few other tears of different tendons that when they tear completely, Sometimes it's helpful if they need to be reattached to do it sooner before they're retracted and scarred in. We've been talking about shoulder pain with Dr. Christopher Camp. Christopher, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.